a good reminder that we need the Lord and we need His presence and a good reminder that when we open up His Word and we sing His praises, uh, the God that we read of and the God that we sing to is, is with us. Church, He is here. His presence is in us and among us and we have come to, to glorify Him, to worship Him. Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation 21 uh, and 22 today. And believe it or not, uh, next Sunday will be our final uh, our final message, uh, at least for now, from the book of Revelation as we bring this study to a conclusion. We've been uh, working our way through this uh, final and climactic and important portion of God's Word for a while now, and it's beginning to draw to, to a close. Uh, but the Bible teaches, and we saw this last week, uh, that God is preparing the perfect place for His people. And according to God's word, that place is going to display God's majestic glory. It's going to uh, portray the bride's imputed beauty. And it's going to uh, prove God's covenant faithfulness. It is going to be the perfect place. And you are going to want to be there. Will you be there? Will you be there? See, through the Bible, the Spirit of God calls us to long to want to be there, to long to want to be with Jesus. So let me ask you this morning as we prepare to look at His Word, do you long to want to be, do you long to be with Jesus? Do you want to be with Him? If you know Him, if you know the Christ who saves, then, then you want to be with Him. Taste and see that He is good. Long for Him. Want to be with Him. And so as we open up the scriptures again to John's portrait of heaven, my prayer is that you and I long to be with Jesus. Let's hear from him. Let's look at his word. As you find your place in Revelation chapter 21, you can find this text on page 1004 in a pew Bible. But as you find your place uh, there, uh, following our our practice here, let me invite you to join me standing, uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Let's hear from him. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 22, we pick up the text. It says, John says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Would you bow with me? 
Father, this morning we come before you thanking you for your word, acknowledging its goodness, Lord, acknowledging its truth, acknowledging that you are God and we need to hear from you. And so, Lord, we invite you to speak to us now through the proclamation of your word. Instruct us, correct us, encourage us, shape us according to your truth that our lives may praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our text for this morning, and you probably noticed this upon reading, is a continuation of the portrait that we saw last week. It's a continuation of what precedes it. A portrait of this eternal city of God that's introduced in the verses just prior to this. As people of faith, this portrait is meant to excite us. It is meant and intended to encourage us and to lead us to long for Christ's return. Even a surface level reading of the text implies that this is a good place. This is a place that that we want to be. But to really hear this text, we need to know a bit about how God has related to his people in, in times past. And specifically, we need to know something about uh, the tabernacle experience of, of the Israelites. And you remember the story of Moses and God calls and raises up Moses to go and confront Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and uh, to, to deliver the descendants of Abraham, God's people, out of slavery uh, in Egypt. And so he does that according to uh, the provision and the promise of God. And God then sets up terms for this covenant relationship that he is establishing with his people. And at the heart of that covenant... Uh, was uh, was the terms uh, in which God would reside among his people, that he would dwell among his people in a, a portable tent of meeting or a tabernacle, which later became uh, the temple. And this tabernacle served as a visible sign of God's presence with and his commitment to his people. But there were very clear parameters surrounding uh, when and how the Israelites would approach God. God called for priests and he called for sacrifices, constantly communicating that he is a holy God and we are a sinful people. And due to God's holiness, he could only reside among sinners if there were clear and observable boundaries between his presence and his people. And if those boundaries were ignored, then God would remove his presence from among them. And if you know the story Some generations pass, and after generation and generation and generation of of kings and and a nation as a whole, uh, drifting away from God, falling into idolatry and and approaching Him flippantly, that's exactly what He allows to happen as the Babylonians come in and destroy the temple in 587 B.C. If you know the history, the temple is then later rebuilt, only to be destroyed again a few hundred years later in A.D. 70 by the Romans. And since that time, there has been no earthly temple, nor has there been any need for one because followers of Jesus are the temple. The church is the temple. But even though the spirit of God presently resides in us, our awareness of his presence is only a foretaste of what is to come for God's people. God is preparing to dwell with his people. According to the scriptures, according to the Bible, according to God's word, God is preparing to dwell with his people in a far, far more noticeable and significant way than he already does. Now, he is with us now. But our perception of his presence with us now is limited 
Because even though we are forgiven and saved by the blood of Jesus, we still live in decaying bodies and in a fallen world. John's words here in Revelation 21 echo the Lord's words through the prophet Ezekiel. God says concerning his people, he says in Ezekiel 37 verse 26, he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. God says my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. The promise that the Lord gives that I think has multiple layers of fulfillment, but finds its consummate fulfillment, its final fulfillment, its ultimate fulfillment in the new Jerusalem. In his gospel account, John writes these words, John chapter 1, verse 14, speaking of the incarnation, he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, John says, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And so if we take this message seriously, if we take God's word here to heart, we read that in the incarnation, God made his dwelling place among us. He tabernacled among us. He took up residence among us. He came to live openly among sinners for a time in order to rescue us from slavery to sin. This is why Jesus is called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The Father sent the Son. The Son was the fullness of God in human flesh, tabernacling among sinners. The Son accomplishes His saving mission. And then He ascends back to heaven and He sends the Holy Spirit to live in us as we await the Lord's return for us. You see, God is with His people. Church, even now, the Holy Spirit is with us and living in us. Even we Gentiles who once knew nothing of God's promises to Abraham, who were considered outsiders and foreigners, unaware of God's plan of redemption. But now, because of what Jesus has done, Paul writes, he says, we are no longer foreigners and strangers. We're no longer outsiders He says, but we are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. It goes on, he says, in him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. He says, in him, you too, church, you believers, you Gentiles are are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so not only does God make his dwelling place with us in the incarnation, but now he does so in the church. And so, friends, when we gather like this, when we come together on Sunday morning, when we come together as the church, when we come together for corporate worship, we are coming together into God's presence to submit to him, to express our faith in him and to bring sacrifices of praise to Him. In other words, our gatherings are ultimately not about us. They are about Him. They're for His glory. We don't simply come week after week to prepare us to make it through another week or to to fill us up. Sure, our gatherings may help us to that end, but our primary purpose when we come together as the church is to glorify God because He is worthy of our praise. To recognize His greatness and His grace. To exalt His name and to hear from Him. 
Our gatherings are not so much about a place. This is where we gather. We're fortunate to have a space to, to do this, to come together, to have a, a building and a structure, a growing, expanding building and structure as, as tools for ministry. But our gatherings are not so much about a place as, a, as they are about a people. See, this building is, is not a temple. The people are the temple. We are the temple. There is no temple structure on earth now, and nor will there be in heaven. There will be no temple structure. John says in verse 22, he says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You may recall from last week that John equates this city of God. He equates this eternal city. He equates uh, the new Jerusalem with the bride of Christ. The holy city is the bride, meaning God's people from throughout the ages. So it isn't just a place, it's also a people, it's God's people. And John describes this city as a square, 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. The number 12 being the number for God's people and 1,000 implying the vastness of this city. But the city isn't just a square, it's also a cube, verse 16. 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. And some of you who are, are, who are immersed in the scriptures, who've studied the Old Testament, may recall that the innermost part of the tabernacle, the most holy place, and later the temple, the most holy place of the temple, was laid out as a cube, a perfect cube. In other words, by this, John is saying that there is no temple, so to speak, in heaven, because the whole city is a temple. The whole place is the most holy place. In other words, there's no specific location in heaven where we're going to go to meet with God or where God's presence dwells in a greater way. His presence, his full presence will extend throughout the city, meaning that all of us who are gathered there will have unhindered and constant access to him. Revelation 21, verse three, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. You see, in the new heaven and earth, there will be no denying His presence because the fullness of God's presence will overwhelm us. And we will worship Him in our hearts, with our voices, and with our lives. Representatives from every social class and every place will be there bowing before the King of all kings, enjoying the glory of the light of the world. God is preparing to dwell among His people. There will be no temple structure because there will be no sin to separate will be no sin to separate. You see, a physical temple, a physical structure implies a couple things. It implies a physical place, a, a, a specific location uh, where God's presence is localized, but it also implies the need for uh, mediating sacrifices for sin in order to go before Him. In other words, barriers between a holy God and a sinful people. And only one person, only one man, only the high priest could enter the most holy place of the earthly temple. And he could only do so on one day of the year. And he could only do so after making sacrifices for his own sin and then the sins of his people, of the people. But in heaven, there will be no sin to separate. And so there will be no need to approach God through sacrifices mediated by a priest. The presence of God will be the temple and it will be among his people. No sin to separate, 
therefore unhindered and constant access to God's glory and his presence. And this can only be true if there is no sin in the city, and there won't be. Only the holy will live in this city. Verse 27, John says, nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, only those whose sins have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Only former sinners who've now been washed and cleansed and restored and made right, who've been set apart by the Savior. I don't think we realize how much we really need God. I don't think we realize how much we really ought to and long to be with Him. How good life is going to be in in perfect relationship and perfect fellowship with Him. We, We were made to know and to enjoy God, but sin disrupts this fellowship. But there will be no sin there. There will be no disruption, only perfect enjoyment and perfect fellowship with the very one who made us. Friends, God is preparing the perfect place for his people. God is preparing to dwell among his people and God is preparing to provide richly for his people. God is preparing to provide richly for his people. When Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord in the garden, paradise was lost. But in the new heaven and the new earth, paradise will be regained and restored. And here, God's presence will mean protection and provision and blessing. The people of God in the presence of God, recognizing the rule and the reign of God and experiencing the blessing of God forever and ever and ever. The kingdom of God fully realized the fruitfulness and abundance and fertility of the Garden of Eden. And yet more, the water of life flowing from God's throne, implying that life comes from Him, originates from Him. The tree of life, given a constant supply of everything we could ever need or want, we will never want something in heaven that we cannot have. Do you realize this? Just the other day, my youngest son wanted something He could not have. I know that shocks you. But we had finished dinner at the Jones household. Everybody had eaten well for once. And the kitchen was closed. And you parents know what I'm talking about. But all of a sudden, our almost two-year-old runs into the kitchen. You hear him come around the corner and go to those pantry doors and sling them wide open, start perusing the shelves and make a selection. And he grabs some Ritz cheese crackers, of all things. And with excitement on his face, he turns and runs toward me and he begins to say some of his favorite words. Mine, mine, please. No, Eli, we're not having a snack right now. You've eaten well, put it up. We're not going to eat a snack right now. It's not time for a snack. Short fit. And then he runs off to see if somebody else will satisfy his craving. So I turn over my shoulder. Kinsley, do not open those crackers for him. Okay, I won't. Well, a couple minutes pass, and I turn around, and somehow that little fella has opened up that package of crackers, and he has about four of those cheese sandwich crackers stacked tall and eating them in Big Mac fashion, as if he's eating chocolate pie on an empty stomach. 
I mean, he thinks that he is absolutely in heaven. Now, I, I don't know what we're going to eat in heaven, but I am quite confident that it won't be processed and packaged cheese crackers. Listen to what God says through Isaiah the prophet. God says in Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 and 2. I don't think this is on the screen. He says, come, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. The richest affair, and it will cost you nothing. You cannot earn it. No money can buy it. No status can claim it. Only a hunger and a thirst for the living God. God is preparing to provide richly for his people. And all nationalities will be there. All nationalities will be there. Revelation 21, verse 24, John writes, he says, The nations walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Chapter 22, verse 2, he says, And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Beautiful reminders that in heaven there will be no sickness or sorrow. There will be no suffering or sadness. Only the saved multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. There will be black folks there and white folks there. There will be Asians and Hispanics. Uh, there will be Yankees and there will be Southerners. There will be Alabama fans and Auburn fans. There will be North Koreans and South Koreans. There will be people from every nation, tribe, people, and language communing with the Savior and praising the Almighty God who forever protects and provides for his own church, all nationalities will be there and all Christians will serve, see and reign with God. According to God's word, all Christians, all followers of Jesus will serve, see and reign with God. John says in verse 27, he says, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be there. Meaning that those who refuse to repent and believe and follow Jesus will not be there. But every man, every woman, every boy, every girl who trusts in the Lamb will enter and remain for eternity. John says in verse 3, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Friends in heaven, we will gladly serve the Savior. Christians will serve the Christ. And in verse 4, he says, they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. God will claim us as his very own. And we will see him. Friends, we will see God. On this earth, in this earthly life, not even Moses could see the glory of God and live. But in heaven, we will see the fullness of his presence and his glory. Implying far more than just physical sight. But that we will know him. Meaning that we will know him for who he is. Our questions will be answered. Our curiosity will be satisfied. We will see and know the Lord. I can remember as a child before bed, my dad would often pray over me and he would pray the words of that priestly prayer that's recorded in Numbers chapter 6. It was to be prayed over the Israelites. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. 
be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And even now as a a dad with my own kids, I often say that prayer. I voice that prayer over my kids. But obviously I've been doing so without realizing the full magnitude of what I'm praying. Because this is the fulfillment of that prayer in Revelation chapter 22 verse 4. May we see his face and may his name be on our foreheads. Prince David saying in Psalm 27, he said, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And so shall it be for those in the Lamb's book of life. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We will dwell with the Lord forever. We will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and we will be his temple. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, Paul writes. 1 Corinthians 13, he says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, our understanding here is cloudy. It is partial. It is broken. But friends, then it will be clear. Christians will serve God. Christians will see God. And Christians will reign with God. Verse 5, and they will reign forever and ever. I don't know exactly what that means. Perhaps it conjures up all sorts of questions. Well, who, who are we going to reign over? What's this going to look like? I don't, I don't. It means that we will participate in God's eternal reign. Graciously given positions of royalty as children of the king. Are you a child of the king? You are a child of the king, the king of all kings. This king is good and he is kind. Peter says that he is patient. He's patient with you and with me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is the God who says through Isaiah, Isaiah 54, for a brief moment, I abandoned you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. He says in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you. For a moment. But with everlasting kindness. I will have compassion on you. And he has. And he does. And church he forever will. God is preparing the perfect place for his people. He is preparing to dwell with his people. He is preparing to provide richly for his people. So brothers and sisters. Followers of the lamb. Children of the king. God's presence and provision. Will be our eternal delight. God's presence and his provision will be our eternal delight. Do you believe that truth? I I believe that truth, but I'll be honest with you. I often don't live as if I believe that truth. I may be the only one, but, but, but I squabble with my wife sometimes over petty stuff. I snap at my kids rather than lovingly correcting them and instructing them. And I get irritated at inconveniences and I fail to share the gospel every chance I get. Lord, forgive me. I need to be reminded that I am a hell-deserving sinner. And yet, by God's grace, this is what I am going to get. Praise be to God from whom all blessings flow. Friend, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. He is gracious. He is patient. He is kind. He is compassionate. This, This picture of the end is meant to comprise an invitation. 
It's a call to turn and trust in Jesus. It's the call of the psalmist in Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So let's trust the Lord. Let's take refuge in him. Let's run to him for salvation and security. Let's delight in the God who forgives sinners by the blood of the lamb. And until this lamb returns, until the Savior comes again for us or calls us home, let's abide with him. Let's abide with Jesus knowing that he is faithful to his promises because he has always been so. He is trustworthy. Abide with him knowing that he is going to do what he promises he says, what he promises to do. He's going to do what he says. That he is faithful. Friend, walk with him. Talk with him. Trust in him. Remain confident in his soon return. Expressing your trust and your love by communion with him. For Jesus, our King and our Savior, said these words recorded by John in John chapter 15. He said, as the Father has loved me, Believers, so have I loved you. He says, abide in my love. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Friend, is your joy full? Do you have joy in knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that you are a child of God? God's presence and provision will be my eternal delight. Will it be yours? Do you bow with me? Father, we believe in the truth of your word. We believe that you are who you say you are. And that your word is sufficient. That it is needed. That it is necessary. And Lord, that you tell us exactly what it is that you desire for us to know about you through it. Lord, may we be a people who consume it. May we find delight and joy and satisfaction and knowing you through, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Lord, help us to commune with you. Help us to trust you. Help us to cling to your gospel. Lord, lead us to bow before you always, to submit to your reign and to, to worship you, to humbly serve you and to long to be with you. And Father, may we be a people who gather and gather often as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a family of faith, because we know that when we come together, we get a taste of what it's going to be like with you. Lord, lead us to be a people who are faithful and who are fruitful, who bow before the King and who abide with Jesus. And Lord, guide us now. But as we respond to these truths, as we respond to Jesus even now, lead us by the presence and power conviction and guidance of your spirit to respond in a way that exalts your name. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.